0: on this episode of the byo nano podcast we're talking finance and barrels and the best practices for both this is john hall and welcome to episode 20. the bottom line of your brewery is always something to be mindful of and after the last year and a half of watching every cent we realize just how critically important finance is. So the show is gonna start off with a conversation with Jason Sleeman. He's the Vice President of Craft Beverage Lending at United Community Bank. And then we're going to switch gears to the brew house barrels are fun, but they're also a pain to work with. Andy Parker knows about working with wood. He's had a career as a barrel herder first with Avery Brewing Company, and now with Denver Beer Co. In addition to its larger operations, Denver has a seven barrel brew house where they can mess around and try different things. Andy knows barrels and he has eight tips to help you start or maintain a small barrel program. Before all that though, I'm happy to tell you that this episode is sponsored by BSG. HS Evergreen from BSG Hop Solutions was developed to showcase a blend of citrus, floral, and fruit hop character in American-style craft lagers. HS Evergreen enters with strong suggestions of fresh peach and apricot, bright citrus like lemon candy, orange zest and tangerine, and watermelon candy. Notes of hay and pine round out a classic American craft beer hop profile. Secondary and tertiary notes include methanol, dank, geranium herbs like basil, dill, and thyme, cannabis, and green tea. For more information, please visit bsgcraftbrewing.com/evergreen. And we're also brought to you by ABS Commercial. Are you in need of brewing equipment? ABS Commercial offers full brew houses, fermenters, bright tanks, keg washers, and small parts. ABS has in-stock equipment and has some of the shortest lead times in the industry for custom builds. The ABS team is made up of former brewers, so ABS brings the knowledge and experience that will help you succeed and take your brewery to the next level. Learn more about everything ABS has to offer by visiting abs-commercial.com. And we're also brought to you by Blickman Pro. Check out the latest addition to the Blickman Pro Brewing Equipment lineup, skid-mounted brew houses, available in 5 to 15-barrel capacities. These production powerhouses are designed for flexibility, engineered for performance, and built for growth. Experience the convenience you want from a name you trust at a price you wouldn't expect. Visit BlickmanPro.com to learn more. And save the date. November four to six of 2021 is the BYO Bootcamp in Denver, Colorado. Join us in person for three full days packed with brewing learning. You'll have two days of learning hands-on in small class from brewing experts in your choice of eight different full day workshops. Plus you'll have a full bonus third day of back-to-back seminars from our experts. So you have a chance to learn from all of the speakers beyond your small class workshops. Learn more by visiting byo.com. And the fourth annual NanoCon Online is taking place on December 3 and 4, with two days of more than 30 seminars and workshops for the Nano Craft Brewing segment. Be sure to mark NanoCon Online on your calendar or sign up now by going to byo.com, and I'll see you there. By now you know that having a good relationship with your bank is important to the success of your small business. Many nano brewers got a crash course in lending and terms when the pandemic first came upon us in early 2020. Going forward, there are loans to repay and plans that will need financial assistance to move forward. And so I dialed up Jason Sleeman. He's a brewery lender at United Community Bank in Georgia. And he talks about the five C's of credit and then offers up some tips on how small breweries can grow in smart ways. He spoke to me from Atlanta via Zoom. We're at the beginning of winding down 2021, I guess as it's fair to say. Um, but there's still a lot of thoughts to 2020, which was a down year for a lot of folks. Uh, people had difficult conversations with their banks. Um, in many cases, they they wound up being positive conversations as the banks were willing to help out small businesses, small breweries, um, you know, stay afloat and, and sort of keep going. Um, but now as some of these breweries are you know, coming back from their down year, what do you think they should be thinking about when it comes to conversations with their banks?
1: So as uh, you're, you're right, uh, you know, it, the conversations over the last you know 18 months have been all over uh, the board from, you know, hair on fire to, hey, we're actually having a really good year kind of, you know, the contra to to everything else. And, um, you know, those conversations whenever a banker is talking to uh, their borrower, so someone who has either a new loan request or an existing loan request, they're kind of going down the five C's of credit checklist. So they're looking at, you know, the five uh, C's of credit, trying to see where uh, this loan or where this need potentially fits in. Uh, and so they're, they're kind of going down a checklist talking about character, capacity, capital, collateral, and condition and trying to see how they satisfy each one of those boxes to ensure that, you know, they're doing two things. One, they're protecting the bank. Uh, and two, they're protecting the borrower and ensuring that this loan that they give them or this, you know, try and restructure things uh, isn't, isn't something that's going to kind of crush them. And so they're going to make sure that, you know, as they look at it, Uh, they're doing the right thing for kind of everyone involved.
0: Can can we talk about those five C's for, and just sort of unpack them just a little bit um, one by one, just so that people kind of get a better understanding of what you're talking about.
1: Yeah. and, And I don't think that, you know, this is something that, unless you're a banker, you don't think about this every day. And so, you know, the five C's, the first one is character. And that is usually related into, credit history. So both kind of business and personal. So, you know, if, if do you, did you have a recent bankruptcy? Is your credit score uh, showing a lot of late? Are there things that are um, kind of really pulling you down personally? You're over leveraged personally, you know, being able to understand those things. And also in re, in, in in regard to background checks. Um, so when you do a loan, the bank's going to actually pull a background check and they're going to see, were you arrested? Did you have Uh, you know, some, some kind of criminal history in the past. And, you know, a lot of times those are minor things uh, that will show up and you can explain them away, but being able to actually do that is important. And then finally in the character category is kind of the references. So how how are you paying your vendors? How, what does your CPA think of you? You'd be surprised at how, um, you know, the the people in the industry talk and, and someone will say, oh, you're doing business with them. I'd be careful. Right. And so, you know, the, the references is, is a huge part of the character also. Uh, the, the next one that is kind of the main uh, part is the capacity, and that's the borrower's ability to repay the loan. So it's really comparing your revenues to the debt, and that is both existing and new debt. So you know, uh, from a startup perspective, if you're if you're starting on day one, you zero you have zero real capacity, and so. That's where a lot of people end up with SBA loans right off the bat because they will allow for projections. And so you're projecting the, your capacity, or capability to repay that loan. So you're not you don't have historical cash flow where you're saying if all goes the way we expect it to go, we're going to be able to, to pay that back. And um, you know, the, the other part of capacity and, and where a lot of loans are made, especially on the expansion side. So, you know, if you're if you're a nano brewery and you started out as a one or two-barrel system. You probably don't have the revenue to take on a a very large expansion, but you can say, Hey, look, we we've been profitable on this little small side. So we understand how to run the business and um, we've been around for four or five years, right? So the age of the business and the profitability, and it shows proof that with a bigger loan and a bigger opportunity that you can do things there. So that that's the capacity part. Um, The capital it's how much investment, are you going to be able to contribute to the project? So as the borrower, how much can you put into the project? And, you know, it's 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 not unfrequent that a couple of times a month, I will have someone call me and say, hey, I need a loan for X. And I'll say, great, how much money are you going to put in? And they're under the impression that there's 100% financing on the commercial side. And, and Yikes. you know, we, we, we get kind of caught into the, you know, consumer side, but there's not necessarily a 100% financing on the commercial side. Yeah. Uh, it, it also talks about you know wh- what's your borrowed and non-borrowed working capital. So did you go out and raise investors? Did you you know go and find some kind of crowdsourcing? What have you done? And then what's what's you know the, the your overall equity? What's the investors' equity? What's your kind of cap table look like? Well, one thing sense. that I think gets yeah. confused a lot with capital is collateral. People will say, well, I have this piece of collateral uh, that should be good enough. And it's kind of uh, one of the five Cs of credit, but it's not the one that you know, get you the loan necessarily. And and that's understanding what's securing the loan. So, um, you know, I have a building, I have equipment, I have, you know, certain pieces, um, a lot, sometimes the collateral is unsecured. Uh, so if you're doing like a leasehold improvement deal and it's a really small project and equipment is kind of a small part, um, there could be not enough collateral to cover it. And the bank has to assess that risk too. Okay. And then finally is the condition. And right. that's really the details of the loan. It's, um, you know, what's the rate, what's the term, can 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 it be structured to to really put that uh, in there? And then it's also how are the funds are gonna be used? What's the experience of the owners? You know, one of the conditions that we always look for is to someone, you know, to someone having brewing experience and have you brewed professionally or has this been just kind of a hobby? What, what does that look like? And then I would say that there's also external conditions that you look for, you know, or, have you just recovered from a global pandemic? You know, we, 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 <laughs> we're, we're working, working towards it, know. yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and, and it is the same thing when the, with the great recession in 08, 09 and 10, right? We, we kind of had that same thing. So there, there are gonna be external things coming out of your control. So so I, I think, you know, you, the, the banker and the borrower kind of bundle those things up and you kind of come together and say, okay, is, is this loan gonna work based on those five categories?
0: And these are things when you're talking with small brewers, do, do they normally know this coming into it? Or is this one of those things where you have to have a conversation with somebody first and say, you know, hey, this is what we need. And you know, this is what I'm looking for. And it sort of prolongs the process. Is, is, I guess, is it, is it easier if somebody comes armed with as much of this knowledge or as much of this information as possible?
1: It will really speed up the process if you kind of take a a look and evaluate these pieces and say, hey, here are the things that are coming with. I I would say the majority of the time, especially when it's someone who, um, they may have been a brewer, they may have been a sellerman, they may have been something in the industry, but they didn't really touch the the finance side of things. They usually come pretty quick. And And I would say the first conversation I have with them is an hour kind of talking about, all right, great. And 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 I'm not saying, hey, tell me about your character. Tell me about your capacity. Tell me about your capital. I, I'm just kind of asking things like, great, you know, you you said you need a half a million dollars. You know, the bank is going to provide approximately four hundred thousand of that. How are you going to come up with all the other hundred thousand, right? So a lot of it is kind of in the phrasing because if if you go and say, great, tell me about your capital structure, uh, that that loses a lot of people. And so it's it's just kind of having a, an open conversation. And 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 there's so many great. Consultants on the financial side and the brewing planning side, and, and there's a lot of people out there that you know, if you just kind of hook in with, um, you know, it's it's going to be kind of a holistic approach. So, you know, I, I'm not asking anyone to show up with, hey, here's here's our character, but you know, you know, if you ask them, hey, tell me about your credit history, or tell me about, you know, is there anything I'm going to find in your background check? And um, I'm I'm sure this doesn't surprise you, but you know, in the brewing industry, there's there's some minor things that you find in the background check pretty frequently, and so just yeah. being able to have that conversation early on. Um, where you can kind of uh, structure the conversation with both your credit group and the borrower to say, "Hey, look, this is going to be a challenge. Or, uh, I think we can get past this." Uh, you know, it's, it's pretty important.
0: As you're thinking about uh, small brewers moving forward, uh, you know, into the end of this year, into 2022, even even beyond. Um, what, what are some of a few things you know, economic wise that you'd be encouraging some of these nano breweries, uh, to think about when they want to grow, uh, but do it in a smart way.
1: So the number one thing that I can say is know your financial numbers and also know the story behind the numbers. So a lot of times, um, you know, I'll get something I'll ask for a and and someone may say, Ooh, I don't know, uh, especially on the smaller side, they may send me their point of sale report. And I'm like, well, that's great because it shows the revenue, but it doesn't really help me calculate your, you, you know, your, your income. Um, and so knowing being able to talk about your financial numbers, being able to talk really equivalently on your financial statement and your um, balance sheet. And then be able to, to talk about the the why behind the story. A lot of times, you know, when you're we're talking about just being able to kind of be you know pretty economical um is sometimes you may have an appropriate system and you may be able to squeeze one more brew out if you had uh, another five barrel tank right and so that's a relatively cheap way to grow um and and so being able to understand have you really hit capacity that that's one of the things that i want to know in, in an expansion um is have you fully fully hit your capability and so being able to to go and look at that and, and sometimes you don't need to borrow a bunch of money, you, you may just be able to say, hey, we can put, you know, we can hire another brewer, put another shift on, or we can squeeze another turnout, or we can do, you know, we can free up some capacity somewhere. And, and that may get your revenue up without having to borrow any money. And that, that's one of the first things that I would say is, you know, can you, can you squeeze a little bit more efficiency? Can you squeeze a little bit more revenue out without having to, to put any uh, leverage on there? Um, that leans into my kind of my second thing that I would say is don't get over leveraged. Ensure you have enough revenue and that is excess revenue to support any debt that you take on. So you, you see a lot of breweries, especially smaller ones say, Oh my gosh, we're so successful. Um, we're on a three barrel system. Let's go to a 30 barrel system. And you say, Whoa, whoa, whoa wait a minute. You <laughs> that's, know, and, 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 that's a jump. Yeah. 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 But it's, but it's, it's a lot, it's a lot of what people um want to do. And and so I I would say, you know, see, see what you can do about not getting over leveraged and make sure that when you make the jump, what you didn't just do is put yourself in a a really precarious situation by over leveraging yourself. Um, You know, one of the other things is, you know, know, know what works for you. So not everyone has to be in package at the grocery store on, you know, the draft handles at every restaurant. There's a lot of small breweries, that are earning very good wages, you know, at a couple hundred thousand dollar top line, paying the you know staff and the brewery owner pretty well, and, and they're just they they're selling over the tap room. So just because you don't have cans everywhere and, and you're not known as a, a regional powerhouse, it doesn't it doesn't mean that's what you have to be. There, there's a lot of room uh you know across the US for kind of that local tap room that does an amazing job, puts on amazing project and, and just uh, So don't don't just think because uh, you know, it, it expanding is the answer. That it's it's you know something you have to do. And 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 I, I kind of tie that into my last thing is just, you know, expand only when the time is right. So yeah. you know, your, your your mom would appreciate me telling you this, right? Just because <laughs> everyone else is doing it doesn't mean you have to. Um, and that's and that's the same thing that banker says sometimes is you know, okay, well, why are you doing this? Well, the, the fact that your neighbors doing a second location doesn't mean you have to do a second location. So. Make sure the reasons right, um, you know, that, that you think you're going to be able to take advantage of it, right? Because um, the one thing that I would tell everyone is, you know, yes, it is a fun industry. It's the reason I got in the industry is that people are just amazing, whether they're a you know, one barrel, one barrel system or a hundred barrel system, it, it's it's all about the people. And so, you know, that, that's one of the reasons people go in it. Um, but if you're the owner of a brewery, whether again it's a one barrel, a hundred barrel system. You you've got to remember that it's a business, and you know what are you doing? What's right for your PL? and Are you doing what's right for your balance sheet? Um, and and sometimes the right answer is to not expand. It's to uh, you know keep keep things uh, you know steady going, and uh, you know wait for that right opportunity uh, when when you say okay, this is really going to make a lot of financial sense for our for our brewery. So that. That's, that's what I would say, uh, you know, some of the things, you know, in the current environment and, and, and just thinking about the economics of things that, uh, you know, are, are smart ways to grow.
0: Always a lot to think about and well beyond the beer. Jason, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for taking the time and sharing your expertise and your, and your insight.
1: Yeah, thanks so much. I really enjoyed it.
0: Thanks again to this episode's sponsors. BSG has HS Evergreen from BSG Hop Solutions. It was developed to showcase a blend of citrus, floral, and fruit hop character in American style craft lagers. For more information, please visit bsgcraftbrewing.com evergreen. we're also brought to you by ABS Commercial. Are you in need of brewing equipment? ABS Commercial offers full brew houses, fermenters, bright tanks, keg washers, and small parts. Learn more about everything ABS has to offer by visiting abs-commercial.com. And we're also brought to you by Blickman Pro. Check out the latest addition to the Blickman Pro Brewing Equipment lineup, skid-mounted brew houses. Experience the convenience you want from a name you trust at a price you wouldn't expect. Visit BlickmanPro.com to learn more. I love walking into a brewery and seeing barrels. Uh, they were once hard to come by, they're now ubiquitous. Brewers get excited talking about barrels, where they came from, what's in them now, plans for future releases, but it's a tightrope act with wood. When it's done properly, it's an amazing experience. When it's not, eh, it's not. So there's a lot to learn about what could go wrong and how to do things right. Andy Parker has done it all when it comes to wood and has created some of the most memorable wood aged beers in the country. He's also dumped a lot of beer that failed along the way. He spent most of his career at Avery Brewing Company, but he's now at Denver Beer Co. and he's still working with wood, playing around on a seven barrel system. I spoke to him from Arvada, Colorado, where he shared some tips on what he's learned after years surrounded by barrels. So, Andy, you're no stranger to barrels, which is why I asked you here. And obviously, you've been working on smaller systems these days uh, after a career at larger systems and still around larger systems. But as you get to travel around, you get to visit breweries, you spent a lot of time uh, in and among barrels and wood. uh, You've learned some things, uh, some good things. You've learned some things to avoid. Barrels are one of those things that I think people are excited about having. And it's a cool thing to walk into a small tap room and see a couple of barrels up on the wall. Um, But not everybody knows the right way to start a barrel program or even to maintain a small barrel program. So from your perspective, what's a good place to start for somebody who wants to get into wood but doesn't really know where to start? Uh that's a hell of a question, John. But uh yeah. so the
2: the the first thing I always think of is that in any normal beer you have your main four ingredients. Once you're introducing a barrel, count that as the fifth ingredient. It's a it's a it can be a huge player whether you're counting on getting a lot of flavor from that barrel or just making neutral barrel sour beers. But that it like your recipe can be predicated around what's going into that barrel and what do you think it's gonna taste like when it comes out. Um so, with that in mind, I wrote up a little a little list of kind of kind of primary directives when I'm thinking about barrels because okay. um, I've I've run a program with thousands of barrels and and in my uh, current employment I'm on a seven barrel system and right now I have a total of six oak barrels I'll be uh, I'll be filling four and emptying two tomorrow in fact you know just really doing it so um, number one and this isn't always possible but if you can evaluate any barrels that you're going to buy. Before buying them, always a good idea. That's not always possible. Sometimes you're working with barrel brokers. Barrels are being shipped all around the world. So if you got to risk it and you're going to buy those barrels and they get to your brewery, number one, open them up, smell them, look inside. Um, if if you open up that bourbon barrel and it smells like bourbon, well, yahtzee, you're you're doing great already.
0: That's what you want. Um, yeah.
2: But you know, if it, if it you opened it up, it's like, oh man, it encountered some some shipping issues. It was, it was in a truck for two more weeks or a month longer. It's a little dried out. Well, maybe you still have time to adjust your recipe and do something a little different with it. Um, number two, look inside that barrel, get a small flashlight, look inside. I have found a lot of things in barrels. I've found a dead frog in a barrel. I've found a dead snake in a barrel. I found an entire intact, non-crushed 16 ounce, like nest tea can. So basically some cooper somewhere had popped open the head of the barrel. It dropped in there. They just put it back in there. um, And it is absolutely worth looking into everyone. Also, if you're lucky, maybe that bourbon barrel still has some bourbon in it. And you can like drain it out and uh, filter the charcoal out and have some nice fresh bourbon.
0: That is, that's, that's always a treat to visit a brewery and to get some of that (laughs) barrel fresh bourbon. Yeah,
2: exactly. Um, And then, so let's say you have your barrels, but your beer isn't quite ready yet. So those barrels need to sit around for a little while. Well, just keep in mind that that it's made of wood. If you let it dry out, it will contract, the barrel rings will start falling off. And so you need to keep those stable. One mistake I made way back in the day, about 15 years ago, I was like, oh, I have some barrels. We don't have beer yet. I'm gonna fill them with water. So I filled them with water and then I just stored them off and then I opened them up about a month and a half later. And I basically just made a stagnant water mosquito pit full of bacteria. Okay, bad idea. So if I get in some fresh barrels, like I just got in some, uh, some smoky scotch barrels about a month ago, my beer wasn't ready. And so last thing I wanted to do is either a fill them with untreated water. And uh, that's just gonna rot away. I also didn't want to fill this with water because I want to get I want to maximize that scotch flavor inside. So every few days, well, I would spray them down with water on the outsides. And then every few days, I would put them on the heads. And then I would fill that that other top head with water. And just make sure that I'm keeping that barrel together with as much moisture as possible. Cause once it dries out, you're gonna, you're not going to have a lot of fun filling that thing. Right. And because I sprayed these with water and filled the heads with water for about four weeks off and on when I filled them last week, flawless, not a single leak anywhere. So I, I didn't, I didn't suck out any of the flavor I'm trying to get. And I kept all that. And I kept that wood in good condition just by spraying on the outside. Um, so number two equipment, there are a lot of ways to get beer in and out of barrels. And I'm just gonna keep it at the very basics here.
0: Okay.
2: The best thing to do is to have uh, a piece of equipment that works just like a Sankey tap on a keg. It takes CO2, it pushes CO2 into the top of the barrel, sucks the beer out of the bottom of the barrel. The main two uh, brands I've used are the Bulldog that I've bought through GW Kent. Costs about 500 bucks. It's good, it does the job. It's what I'm using right now. Um, If you get to enough barrels, there's a brand called the Rack It Tier r-a-c-k uh, hyphen i-t hyphen t-e-e-r okay. it's a little more advanced Costs about 1500 bucks but it has a pressure gauge it has a pressure relief valve um which is good for safety because the last thing you want to do is overpressurize a barrel and blow it up i've never done that but i've heard of it and it does not sound pretty no
0: um
2: and so a racketeer if you do have the funds or if you're going to get uh, more barrels grow. Yeah. it can really it can really be worth it and uh, and uh, the mechanisms on it are just a little smoother you know you get what you pay for so bulldog will absolutely work um with the six barrels i have right now i'm not uh, i'm not going for racketeer bulldog is great if you're going a little bigger racketeer is pretty nice it'll save you'll lose a little less beer it's a little easier to use and that safety aspect cannot be understated
0: mm-hmm.
2: um another fun little thing I made this mistake once bourbon barrels uh and any and anything that came from that they have charred oak bits in there and so one of my early barrel adventures like 10 years ago i'm like cool we got this big bourbon barrel beer we're gonna push it into a tank started pushing into a tank and all of a sudden i couldn't i couldn't push any more beer out of the barrels into the tank eventually i found out is that all these di- little bits of charred oak had gone into the tank and i had a a conical tank with I don't know, two feet of charred oak sitting in the bottom of the tank.
0: Wow, that much? It was a lot. Yeah. So
2: um, e- easiest way and what I'm going to be using tomorrow when I de a couple of barrels, you can buy these things called sock gaskets. They're stainless steel. They have a, uh, an inch and a half uh, rubber gasket on there. They'll fit inside of a, uh, of a sight glass. And so I attach it to the Bulldog. So while it's pulling the beer out, uh a vast majority of those oak chunks will get caught in that little sock gasket costs about 30 bucks and it will save you a lot of pain down the road um because for example tomorrow i'm going straight from barrels directly into kegs the last thing i want is charred oak chunks in those kegs you can imagine how that would go badly so this 30 dollars sock gasket will save me a lot of pain down the road
0: yeah cool what else yeah (laughs)
2: let's see um this is, this is a total optional one. This is for at the end of the barreling process, but it's in my equipment section. Um, one thing that I've struggled with occasionally over the years is I'm tasting a beer out of a barrel, but it's warm and it's flat. Am I, am I really getting all the aromatics? So um, I go for the cheapest way to make a small chilled carbonated sample. And that is a thing called a carba cap. Uh, spelled just like it sounds. You okay. can get them at homebrew stores, um, and they will screw onto, for example, a one liter LaCroix plastic bottle, which is what I'm currently using right now. Okay. I can sample some beer out of a, out of a barrel, put it into that one liter thing. And I'll just do like maybe even six ounces, put it in the refrigerator for a little while, take the cap, hook it up to CO2, shake it for 30 seconds. And I now have a cold carbonated sample that will bring out all the aromatics of that barrel or of a blend of barrels. I've done a lot of sour blends using that where, you can blend eight barrels together, try them in this little thing, see how it goes. So that's a that's about a $15 investment that will help you evaluate when you're gonna take beer out of barrels. Yeah. Um okay, point number three.
0: Point number three. I point love number you three came with a list, by the way.
2: Always preparation, very important.
0: Okay. Um,
2: so number three. In a lot of ways, making barrel aged beer is a lot like making normal steel steel beer. And what, what is the, one of the biggest things in, in all of brewing? After you've uh, oxygenated your word on the way to the tank, your job is to keep oxygen away from that beer. Same thing in barrels. Your job is to keep oxygen away from that beer. So before I fill any oak barrel, I am purging that barrel with some CO2. Um, I've always been lucky enough to have bulk CO2 supplies, so I can just put a loose hose down there, turn it on, let it go, and kind of do a smell test. If for example, you're a much smaller brewery, you don't have a bulk supply. I think one thing you can do is with whatever CO2 tank you have around, as long as you at least get a little blanket of CO2 at the bottom of that barrel. Because CO2 is going to be heavier than air. It's gonna sink down to the bottom there. So even if you only had, let's say a six inch layer of CO2 down there because you don't have a giant supply, as long as you have that down there and then you put in whatever filling apparatus you're using, you can do that with the bulldog with any, any tube really. And keep it simple as long as you're doing a a nice calm laminar flow to the bottom it's going to push that blanket of co2 up and all the way until you fill that barrel so it's not like you have to sit there and waste co2 all day as long as you know how co2 is heavier than air you you can do a pretty good job of this and this will it at least for me on both sour and non-sour beers i'm going to purge it every time i want all the control that i can possibly get over that beer because Let's face it. You put, you put beer in barrels. You're kind of introducing some chaos. You're not, you're, it's not a sanitized vessel. There is some chaos there, but you still want to manage it. Um, it's too common. I think for people to just go, Oh, it's in barrels. It'll be fine. We'll do whatever we want. It's like, no, remember, remember all the things you've learned. Remember those beers that you love and how you made them. And a lot of those things carry over. I think that's a really important, just like basic thing to to keep in mind all the time.
0: No, I love hearing that.
2: Um, let's see. Number four. Point number four. Number four. Be aware of your ambient temperature and humidity. Um, I've been in Colorado for 20 years. The area that I'm in is technically a desert. The humidity is 20% or less most of the year. And I've seen and and I've never been in a a place where I had humidity control. So, i'll have i have so i've had oak barrels that have been sitting there and even after as little as let's say four to five months the tops the top staves of those barrels can dry out once they dry out then all of a sudden oxygen can get in because all of a sudden you have gaps in those staves and as soon as oxygen is flooding in as we just talked about your beer is hosed so it's there there are ways around it between humidification systems i've even thought about like taking some way to like seal up the top the top few uh, staves. In my experience, and this is only my experience in Colorado in a dry area, um, things are, are kind of sped up. And so frequently I'm not keeping that beer in the barrels for a long time. My whole thing though is like, but, but there are places where it's more humid, the temperature's a little lower, the barrels aren't drying out. And I've had, you know, beers that have been left in barrels for a long time and have been incredible. Um, but this rolls right into number five, which is don't fall for that myth that older is always better. Um, and I think this, this, this counts in beer. I think it also counts in whiskey. Like for example, uh uh Ardbeg, very smoky scotch. I've tried a bunch of Ardbegs and I prefer the youngest versions, I prefer the bigger smokier more vibrant versions it's just Mm -hmm. that's my preference there's no reason for me to spend twice as much for something that was aged four years longer yeah. Um, And same thing with beer sometimes. Um, In in my experience i'm generally pulling out all the flavor from a bourbon barrel and i'm going to say two months. Now, there's a more complex thing there. Maybe you want to leave your beer in a little longer and get some oxidation. Maybe, you know, th- there are a lot of reasons to age things longer. Maybe you have a more humid environment than I do. And it's much easier for you to age it longer without risk of, of messing up that barrel. But I can also say that I've, I've also judged barrel-aged competitions. And there have been a couple of years where I have, like, for example, judged an imperial stout. And, like, yep, this deserves a gold. It absolutely gets a gold. I still don't know what the beer is, though. Once the awards are... Uh, are are published i'm sometimes i'll go to the brewer of that brewery go hey i just i just gotta know how how long is that aged and each time i've judged imperial stout at a festival it's always been like oh yeah i I left it in there for four months i just wanted to get the flavor out of there and i did not want oxidation to get in so i took it out and it's like yep well that's why i just went through a panel of judges who know their barrel aged beers because you can make a great beer in two months in four months
0: and 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 sometimes it is like a marketing thing of like, hey, this was aged for a year because it sounds important, it sounds uh, robust, but the proof is actually in the taste at the end of the day.
2: But absolutely agreed. Like it sounds really sexy to go, I aged this for eighteen months. I put more work into it. <laughs> and as a caveat though, here uh, there are some breweries locally uh, in Colorado who. They have different methods, maybe they have humidification systems. I've had some beers around here that have been aged for 18 months and taste phenomenal. Yeah. So I'm not saying that older is always bad, but I I would hate to, but those brewers know their process. They know exactly what they're going for and they're gonna wait that 18 months because that's the flavor profile they want. Yeah. In, in my experience with the facilities I've had, if I wait 18 months, that is gonna be a dumper. Almost none of those will make it through. Oxidation took over and all flavors took over. So that's only my experience, but you just don't want to make it a black and white thing like older equals better. It does not. Great beer equals better. And I didn't even organize this list this way, but this is working out spectacularly well. Here we go to number six. Number six. Number six. Um, This is one of the two biggest questions I've, I've gotten over the last decade. Number six is how do I know when to take the beer out? And just reflecting back on number five there. I know when to take the beer out when it tastes great to me. I think I think one of the mistakes people make sometimes is like, wow, this tastes incredible, I love it. I'm gonna let it sit for another four months and see if it gets even more better. Uh, yeah. And my, my big advice would be don't sit around and wait for this beer to maybe get 5% better. If it tastes great, get it out of there, get it on tap. There's a much bigger chance of something going wrong in that time even your non-sour 12% alcohol bourbon barrel aged stout is Mm -hmm. still susceptible to souring through unwanted bacteria. It is still susceptible to oxidation and extreme levels. And so if it tastes great, just get excited about it, take it out of that barrel and get it on tap and get it into everyone else's flavor holes while it's still awesome. Um, then Let's see. Oh, number seven. Number seven. This is the this is the second uh, biggest question I get asked every single time. And that is how many times to use a barrel. Now mm-hmm. we're making big general generalizations here. I'm not, you know, there's a there's a longer talk to be had on sour beers and non sour beers. But let's just go non sour barrel aged beers. How many times use a barrel for a vast majority of wine barrels, spirits barrels. So I'm talking tequila, rum, uh, bourbon, gin, Red wine, white wine, for any of those, yeah. Uh, my opinion is that you got one shot. You have one shot to get the impact of that previous spirit or wine into that beer. Whenever I've tried to do a second round of something, like I might, I might get a hint of it, but I'm, I'm personally reluctant to use a bourbon barrel twice and on the second round go. This is a bourbon barrel aged beer because if I can't taste a whole lot of vanilla or coconut or charred oak or all that. It's if anything, it kind of seems like a false advertising to me. Um, There are exceptions to this rule. There's a there was a beer that Goose Island put out like 10 years ago called King Henry. Um, And it was a barley wine that was aged in barrels that had previously housed Bourbon County Stout. Okay. And I had it once. It was a phenomenal beer. But they also said, hey, this was aged in barrels that previously had Bourbon County Stout. So I went into it knowing, "Oh, okay, it's probably not going to be a bourbon bomb, but it will have little aspects of that vanilla little aspects of that coconut and some of that charred oak and they were honest about it and that that and it made it a phenomenal beer. Um so for me I got one shot to get that flavor. After that, um I've been able to make sour beers in those barrels for years and years and years. Um and those you can use over and over again because on those sour beers in general, like depending on the beer, a lot of caveats here everyone loves caveats yeah in general you're not in a lot of the ceremonies i've made i'm not looking for a lot of flavor from the oak the oak is just a house to make sure that i have the right the right home for this bacteria um now the the one uh exception to this rule that that for me that i found there was one time i don't know 10 years ago i got in some really smoky scotch barrels you could use them three or four times easily and keep. They were the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah. Um, but I've I've yet to encounter a bourbon, rum, or tequila barrel that I felt like on the second round it was giving a lot of flavor. So after one use, to me, it's like cool. I have a neutral barrel now. Maybe I can do something fun with it, but I'm not going to advertise another bourbon barrel-aged beer on that second round.
0: That makes sense. That's good advice. I like that. Um, I do what I can. I always feel weird leaving things on odd numbers. I know you said seven, but is is there an eight?
2: Uh, I have an optional eight. Um, Let's go for it. It's In in this, if you're a smaller brewery, you might not have access to to this yet, but I would encourage you to uh, take a look at any sensory courses that you can possibly find um the brewers association puts on some puts some on sometimes during like gabf and things like that Mm -hmm. but getting but just and this is another thing just like all your all your steel beer you want if you can get some basic sensory training on on what i would consider the basics for sour and non-sour barrel aged beers so you're looking at i mean oxidation lactic acid acetic acid. If you're making sour beers, there's a big difference between a high level of lactic acid and a high level of acetic acid. And and if it it can help to have some official training to try to separate those out. And there's some cheaper ways to do that. You can buy food grade lactic acid and put it into a pint of beer with a pipette. You can do the same thing with acetic acid because it's just vinegar and try to separate those out. Um, Ethyl acetate is one. Ethyl acetate smells and tastes like paint thinner. If you have a barrel with a ton of ethyl acetate, chances are you'd know it, but I have definitely bought sour, like sour beers made by professional brewers occasionally where it's listed as sour beer and I smell it. It's like, that's just pure paint thinner. That's not sour. Someone didn't quite do their research and figure out the difference between that paint thinner ethyl acetate and lactic and acetic acid. Right. And that's, it's, you know, it's kind of like that. That cool myth that older is always better. There's also that myth that I threw barrel in or I threw beer into a barrel and therefore it is better. Right. It's not always true. You can royally mess up a beer in a barrel. You can also make something that's absolutely delicious that you'd be proud of for the rest of your life. But a little training goes a long way. So, just being able to tell the difference between ethyl acetate and lactic acid and acetic acid, and it would help to have some training in diacetyl, you know, butter popcorn flavor. Uh, Acetaldehyde, which at low levels is green apple at high levels, depending on your palate, it presents as either a Sharpie or raw pumpkin. Yeah. And it can vary by your palate. So you just got to remember that your palate is different than everyone else's, but you can go a long way with a little sensory training to make sure that you're putting out good stuff. Um, I didn't really write this down as a, as a number nine, cause I didn't really think about it. So we'll call it 8.5 since you don't like odd numbers.
0: Okay. Yeah. Uh, thank you.
2: Th- that's don't be afraid to dump barrels. You've introduced this chaos. You're not, you're not using a sanitized vessel. And if something tastes bad to you, chances are, and you, I mean, you're a professional brewer. You are going to be the most critical person and you should be. And if something tastes bad to you, don't think, man, I really, it's going to be okay. No, like don't, don't be afraid to dump it. Yeah. Every good, just like every good brewer that that doesn't deal with barrels dumps beer sometimes because they're paying attention. Every good brewer that does barrels dumps barrels sometimes and you'll feel good about it. And a little sensory training will go a long way towards making you feel very confident. Like, okay, I, I know what's going on here. I know what happened. My humidifier went out, the top of the barrel dried out, oxygen flooded in. That created a, a infusion of ethyl acetate and some diacetyl sometimes. Mm-hmm. And so now I have buttery paint thinner. That's not a sour beer. That's not that's not clean lactic acid and and funky acetic acid. This is going down a drain. Yeah. And that's okay to say that. I can't, I'm scared to tell you how many barrels I've done.
0: Well, we'll have you back on and you can tell us that uh, the the next time. His friends call him Hollywood, but he's asked me to call him Mr. Parker. Uh, Sir, thanks so much for being here and sharing your barrel knowledge and getting us on the right foot for starting a barrel program and maintaining it and making sure that Good barrel aged beer is getting to the mouths of, or what did you call them? The flavor holes of the flavor holes holes of thirsty customers. Thanks, pal. Thanks for doing this. Thanks, John. Appreciate it. Before we go, I'd like to hear from you. What do you have in barrels and what do you hope to put in barrels one day? You can email me at nano at byo.com. And I'll also invite you to head over to byo.com slash nano podcast and subscribe to the newsletter, the magazine, and to catch up with great pro brewing content. New episodes of this show are released on the 15th of every month. So subscribe now and never miss a show when it's released. And you can also do us a favor by leaving feedback on your podcast platform of choice or by emailing nano at byo.com or checking in with us on all of the BYO social media channels. I'm happy to tell you that this episode is sponsored by BSG HS evergreen from BSG hop solutions was developed to showcase a blend of citrus floral and fruit hop character in American style craft lagers HS evergreen enters with strong suggestions of fresh peach and apricot bright citrus like lemon candy, orange zest and tangerine and watermelon candy. Notes of hay and pine round out a classic American craft beer hop profile. Secondary and tertiary notes include methanol, dank, geranium, herbs like basil, dill, and thyme, cannabis, and green tea. For more information, please visit bsgcraftbrewing.com evergreen. And we're also brought to you by ABS Commercial. Are you in need of brewing equipment? ABS Commercial offers full brew houses, fermenters, bright tanks, keg washers, and small parts. ABS has in-stock equipment and has some of the shortest lead times in the industry for custom builds. The ABS team is made up of former brewers, so ABS brings the knowledge and experience that will help you succeed and take your brewery to the next level. Learn more about everything ABS has to offer by visiting abs-commercial.com. And we're also brought to you by Blickman Pro. Check out the latest addition to the Blickman Pro Brewing Equipment lineup, skid-mounted brew houses. Available in five to 15 barrel capacities, these production powerhouses are designed for flexibility, engineered for performance, and built for growth. Experience the convenience you want from a name you trust at a price you wouldn't expect. Visit BlickmanPro.com to learn more. And save the date. November 4 to 6 of 2021 is the BYO Boot Camp in Denver, Colorado. Join us in person for three full days packed with brewing learning. You'll have two days of learning hands on in small class from brewing experts in your choice of eight different full day workshops. Plus, you'll have a full bonus third day of back to back seminars from our experts. So you have a chance to learn from all of the speakers beyond your small class workshops. Learn more by visiting BYO.com. And the 4th Annual NanoCon Online is taking place on December 3 and 4, with two days of more than 30 seminars and workshops for the Nano Craft Brewing segment. Be sure to mark NanoCon Online on your calendar or sign up now by going to BYO.com, and I'll see you there. I'm John Hall. You can still find me weekly behind the microphone on the Drink Beer, Think Beer podcast, as well as Steal This Beer. Find those where podcasts are found, and I hope you'll tune in. Our theme music was created by Scott McCampbell, and we thank him for that. And once again, be sure to check out byo.com slash nanopodcast for all your nano brewing needs. And for now, we wish you all the best for a small but successful brew day.